All right, well, welcome. Uh, we're starting a new series today. This is a season called Advent. And if you don't know what Advent is in the old Christian calendar, what people used to do was they used to have this countdown thing. And there's two big days that they did a countdown for. One was Easter and the other one was Christmas. And uh, this is a countdown to Christmas. And I know our church doesn't do it every year. And the reason is because, I mean, we do it, you know, I feel like we're doing it every year, so we decided to skip a year or two. But anyways, we're back in it again. <laughs> and we're in, a se- we're in a series called Invitation. And uh, I want to share with you one of my favorite invitations. This is the invitation that changed my life. Okay, so, um, so I was dating back then my girlfriend, now my wife. Okay, I was dating her for about two months, three months. And I was living in Northern California. And for some reason, some many reasons, I decided to move back down to Southern California. And um, she decided to throw a party for me, but I didn't know about it. And she decided, like, I think she forgot to invite, she invited everybody, but she forgot to invite me. And so, so the day before, she sends me an email, and this is how the email goes. I'm going to put it on the screen. Anyways, <laughs> I thought it would be good to invite you to your own dinner. Not everyone can come, so maybe be a small group, and it's not a real party. See you tonight. <laughs> Oh, it's actually, the invitation went out that day. Okay, so, right. So, now when I talked to her about this, she, she claims that that never took place. Uh, I have the email to prove it, and now you guys are on my side, right? And, but when we talk about what happened at the party, we can't remember. She's like, what did I cook? And I'm like, I don't remember. And I guess that's not the right answer, but I really don't remember. Like, who was there? It's like, we can't remember who was there. Right, but I do remember this email that came into my inbox, and I think I was in school at the time, so I remember reading this email thinking, oh, I got to go to, I got dinner tonight. And, you know, it's interesting because when I talked to her about it, she doesn't want to talk about it. She was like, my apartment was a mess, you know, it was a pretty weird neighborhood. I, I don't know, even, I, what was I even thinking, inviting you over to have this thing, you know, like a welcome back to SoCal party for you? I, I don't just, you know, right? But the thing is this, okay? When you invite somebody to your house or to a party or something that you're hosting, usually it puts you in a very strange position because you're opening yourself up to being judged, aren't we? Like, if I get invited to a party, when I go to a party, you know, I'm just kind of waiting for the host to direct me into what I'm supposed to do. It's like, oh, go ahead and mingle. Oh, okay, I guess I'll mingle, you know. Hey, we're gonna have dinner. I guess it's time for dinner. Like, I'm at the mercy of the host, but the host is now being graded or graded by whoever the guests are, right? So there's a big difference between these two things, right? Being invited to a party and inviting people to your party. Because when you're at somebody else's party, <clears throat> you're supposed to have a good time. And it's up to the host to make sure you have a good time. If you don't have a good time, then you're going to be talking about that host saying, that person does not throw good parties, right? When my wife threw me a party that day, I don't remember what it was, but to me, the big point was that I got invited to my own party. That was, that was very thoughtful, right? And <laughs> but I'll tell you what, why this is so important to me. This is why this is the most important invitation that I've ever gotten. It's because the heart that went behind it, right? Even though I don't remember it, and now when I talk to my wife about it, she's like, it was like the worst idea in the world. The fact that she was willing to put, her, put herself out there to invite people over to her junkie apartment, not my words, not my words. She said that. She said that to me last night. She was like, it was, I don't, what was I thinking? Junkie apartment, right? My, not my words, so I'm safe. Okay, <laughs> don't write me emails. Okay, but the thing is, when you invite other people into your party, you're risking being vulnerable. You're asking people to rate you in some weird way, right? So it takes a lot of guts to invite people over. As a matter of fact, even 
then, even though she had a bad experience inviting people, I thought it was great. I just don't remember what happened. Uh, but even though she invited people and risked herself, put her neck out there, and then she thought it was a bad party, okay, she still does this. She still invites people over. It's like, hey, you should come over to have dinner with us. Hey, it's not a party, but, you know, you should come over. We're going to have some food. You know, <clears throat> the reason she does this is because there's a heart inside of her that says, it's more important for me, you know, my reputation is important, yeah, sure, but what's more important is that I make people feel welcome. So today I want to talk about something that's um, a little interesting, I guess, because when we talk about a relationship with God, we usually talk about what is God going to do for me? Is God inviting me into a relationship with him? Is God inviting me to do something with my life? Is God inviting me to do certain things? And every time God invites us, he's putting his neck out there. He's saying, I'm willing to be vulnerable. I'm willing you to judge. You know, he's basically, every time he invites us into something, we're put in a place where we're like, you know, God's plan, <clears throat> it's all right, I guess. It was okay. Or we're like, wow, that was a great plan, God. Or that plan of yours was not good. Like, we are put in a position to, in a way, judge God. So I thought for this season, let's flip the tables around. Let's turn it around and, and ask this question, which is this. God wants you to invite him into blank. What is it that God is calling you to invite him into? We all have certain aspects of our lives that we're like, you know, um, this is my thing. You know, I like to do this on my own. And, you know, God can stay over there. This is my thing. You know, I, I don't want him to kind of jump into my little party here. But this year, what is it? What is that thing in your life that you want to say, I think God is calling me to invite him over into that aspect of my life? In other words, this is going to sound really uncomfortable. What area of your life are you willing to say, go ahead and judge me in this area? Because some of you already know the answer to that question, right? You're like, I know what God's going to say if I invite him into this area of my life. He's not going to be happy with that part. And you know what? I don't think he's surprised by it. Right? He's not going to be surprised. He's not going to be like, God, you invited me to this. Oh my goodness, what a mess your life is. I had no idea. Like, he's not going to be surprised by it, but we still like to keep him out of these parts of our lives. So for the next three weeks, that's how long Advent's going to be this year, we're going to be talking about specific areas of our lives that we want to invite God into, and we're going to be using the Christmas story to kind of pick out these three areas. So today, we're going to be looking at the beginning of the Christmas story. And as a matter of fact, there's two Christmas stories that we ta- that, that's mentioned in the Bible. There's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, and only two of them talk about the birth of Jesus, okay? So we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew today, and there's other parts like the book of Luke, but we're going to be looking at Matthew today. And this is how the story starts. And like any good story, it starts with like, this is how it all began. This is how it starts. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, who's the main character, right? The son of David. He's a descendant of this guy named David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is a very interesting way of storing the Christmas story. And the reason why it's interesting is because this guy named Matthew, who wrote this biography, he's basically saying, you want to know who Jesus is? You know what his origin story is? Then we have to trace it all the way back to this guy named Abraham. So the question is, who is Abraham? And why is he related to Jesus' birth story? Because a lot of times we like to tell the story of Jesus. They're like, oh, baby Jesus, you know, six pound, three ounces, baby Jesus, right? We like to call it that. But what we have to do is we have to say, well, what's the significance of it? And we have to trace it all the way back to this guy named Abraham. So who is Abraham? Abraham is a character that shows up in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And we hear about him, you know, around the end of chapter 11. But his story really starts in chapter 12. So we're going to take a look at a few verses in chapter 12, and we'll jump right back into Matthew. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. 
The Lord God <coughs> has said to Abram, so here's a character named Abram. He'll be called Abraham later in the story. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, Abram at this point in the story, he's living in this place called Ur. U-R. Ur. Ur of the Chaldeas. That's, they had a weird way of naming places back then. Ur. Okay. So he comes from this place called Ur, and tradition tells us that he had a pretty good life there. He had a dad that had a big shop and, you know, all that kind of stuff. He had a great time there. One day, God is looking at the world. He's seeing how for the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the world has been falling apart. So he's looking around to find a solution, and he finds this guy named Abram. Okay, and so God calls to Abram and says, I got this amazing plan. I want to take you out of where your land is, your home, and I want you to start this journey, this trek across the land because there's going to be something amazing that I want to do with you. And Abram is like, I'm listening. It's like, what do you have in mind, God? Next verse. I will take you into a great nation, and I, uh, I, will, I'm sorry, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. He says, this is what I'm going to do with you. You are going to have a kid, maybe two. We'll see, right? And those kids are going to have kids. And those kids are going to have kids and kids and kids and kids and kids and kids. Eventually, you're going to be so numerous, they're going to become a nation. We call that Israel today. That's the Jewish nation, right? <clears throat> and that nation, he said, is this, right? I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So you're going to be using all these people, your descendants, and you're going to bless who? It says, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He's like, this is my plan for you. The world is falling apart. The world is getting darker and darker and darker. Just read the first 11 chapters of Genesis. You'll see how destructive it is. And they're destroying themselves. This humanity is falling apart, <laughs> right? He's like, so this is how we're going to fix it. You, Abram, and your wife, Sarai, you're going to have kids after kid after kid after kid in the combination. And everybody that's connected to you, genealogically, genealogy, you know, right? <laughs> you guys are going to go and bring light into the world. Another way of putting this is this. God wanted to bring heaven on earth through Abraham's family, Abraham's people. He wants to fix the world. He wants to save the world through these people. And Abraham is like, whoa, this is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, sure, I would love to do it. I'll leave right now. I'll do whatever you want. And that's chapter 12. This is the first few verses of chapter 12. But the next few verses, we're not even 13 yet, okay? In chapter 12, before the chapter even ends, we get a preview of how Abraham is going to do with this new mission in his life, okay? So what happens next is that Abraham eventually, <clears throat> you know, he leaves his land. And as he's leaving, he realizes that there's a famine. He's like, there's no more food. Where should we go? And so he hears, hey, there's food over in Egypt. So he travels to Egypt. He goes to Egypt, and he realizes this pharaoh, very powerful guy, um, that he has so much power that he might take away his wife from him. And his wife is very beautiful. So uh, he's like, oh, we got to lie about this. Uh, we're going to lie and say that you're my sister. And yeah, that's how it's going to work out. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. And so they kind of live out that lie for a few days. And then eventually God sees this whole thing and then he brings a curse upon Egypt. And this is how that story goes. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He says, I know it's God that's doing this to me, but it's because of what you did, Abram, that this stuff is happening to me. I thought you were supposed to bless the world, not curse the world. What's going on here? So even before the end of, the, end of chapter 12, we have an example here of Abram actually accomplishing the exact opposite of what God called him to do in the first place. 
which is a big, big, epic fail, right? You had one job. Your job was to bring light into the darkness. Instead, you're cursing people. That is not a good start. And you are like, okay, one mistake, not a problem, right? Well, what we discover, okay, this is chapter 12. We're not even in chapter 13 yet. But in the next few chapters, the next nine chapters or so, we see examples of Abram having a, a, a kid and abandoning the baby because he's like, well, that baby didn't come from me and my wife, so I just want to, you know, and he's like, okay, Ishmael, okay, you live your life in the desert by yourself with your mom. Like, he, he has kids, uh, and his kid has kids, and then we have this two, the, these twins called Jacob and Esau, and all they do is betray each other and deceive, deceive each other. It's like, God's like, you guys are supposed to be a light of the world. You guys are supposed to fix the brokenness of this world. Instead, you're not doing what I called you to do. You're, you can barely get your own act together right? I mean, you're supposed to be out there fixing the world, but you can't even get your own family together. Can't, like, forget that mission. Let's fix this family first, right? And so we see example after example of Abram and his family messing it up. He's supposed to be the people, he's supposed, he and his family are supposed to be out there blessing the world. Instead, either bringing curses to the world or they can't get their own families together. Not to, you know, make a big list of their failures, but let's do that. So here we go. God's people failed big time. Here's one of them. Wars within their own people. So eventually Abraham's family spreads, right? So big they become a nation. And because they're so big, they decide to break up into small tribes, right? There's 12 tribes in all. And these 12 tribes are supposed to be out there bringing light to the world. They're supposed to be saving the world, supposed to be making the world better. But instead, the tribes within, so this is one family, right? They're warring against each other. They're battling each other. Sometimes within their own tribe, they're battling each other, right? And so it's like, God's like, you're not supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be saving the world. What's going on? You're supposed to be fixing relationships. We're supposed to be doing amazing things, but you're not, right? What are you supposed to do? Here's another fail that they did. They neglected their own people, Eventually, God called these people called prophets into the whole story. So that's the second half of the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, we see these people called prophets who are speaking on behalf of God. And these people show up saying like, guys, you're supposed to be saving the world right now, but instead, you can't even take care of your own people. He would say things like, the way you treat women, mm -mm, not good. If you're going to bring a light to the world, you got to learn how to treat women better. Widows, treat them better. Poor people, how come you guys are neglecting the poor? Like, you're supposed to be out there saving the world, making the world a better place, but you can't even get your own act together. Come on, guys. Right? Another one on the list. Turn their backs on God. The God that gave them the mission in the first place, they're kind of like, okay, God, you call us this big thing. We're supposed to do this amazing thing, but you know what? We're going to go this way. Go follow another God, right? They even turn their backs on the very God that gave them the blessings in the first place. (laughs) Here's another one. Conform to the surrounding culture. You guys are different. You guys are set apart. You guys are supposed to have this special thing that's supposed to bring light into the world. Instead, you see the darkness around you and you're like, you know what, that darkness looks good. Let's bring that into this house. So <laughs> they're starting to conform more and more. In, in, instead of them uh, like making the world better and changing the world to become better, the world's changing them to become darker. God was supposed to be the king of the nation of Israel, but instead... They looked around and said, hey, look at our neighbors. They have human kings. We don't want a God king. We, we want a human king. And they get a king for themselves. You know, they, they marry their enemies. 
you know, not because they loved them, but because they thought there was financial gain in it. I mean, these are things that you're not supposed to do if you're supposed to, if you want to go and change the world. And as they kept on doing this over and 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 over again, eventually God became silent. For 400 years, there was no prophet. They didn't hear from God. You know, just imagine if you're one of these people, one of the descendants of Abraham. You're kind of like, okay, God, uh, what are we going to do today? God? Hello, God? And they're like, oh, no, we messed it up. For so long, we've been taking him for granted. He's called us this amazing thing. And now we've lost touch with God. What do we do? And so by the time the Christmas story starts, after the 400 years of silence, there are two questions on the mind of these people. The first question is this. Did we blow it? Did we mess it up? Is this it? That plan that God had for us, is, is that all? You know, like, it, like, did he just cross it off the list and said, sorry, I'm not going to deal with you guys anymore? And the second question they had on their minds was this. Did God give up on us? Did he leave us? Was he like, okay, I tried for thousands of years. I tried working with you guys. Okay, uh, I'm going to find a different group of people. See you guys. And just, do you think that's what, that, these are the questions they were asking back then. For 400 years, they're like, I haven't heard from God. Do you think he gave up on us? Do you think he left us? Maybe we should have taken it more seriously. Maybe we should have done something like, maybe we should have done what he called us to do. Maybe we should have reconciled the people inside of our own family so that we could have gone and done something great. But now, they're filled with regret. It's in that context that the Christmas story, be- story begins. This is why the first verse of Matthew says, Jesus is connected somehow to Abraham because people want, the writer, Matthew, he wants everybody to understand that Jesus' birth is going to make a big difference in the narrative of Abraham. Okay, so let's continue the Christmas story. This is verse 8 of Matthew chapter uh, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, was, uh, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Which is crazy, right? Hey, Joe, I'm, I'm pregnant. That, was that me? No, no, that wasn't, I know that wasn't me. Who was it, right? Holy Spirit, okay. You know, like, and we're not gonna talk about that controversy today. Let's keep going. <laughs> because Joseph, her husband, was f- faithful to the law. And if you guys were here for the last series, we're talking about how people follow the rules back then, right? And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, meaning if you follow the rules by the letter of the law, you would have to disgrace the person that was gonna be your wife but had a baby before you got married, right? But he decided not to follow the rules. He decided to show grace instead, right? So he had in mind to divorce her quietly, Next verse. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So if you have a crazy dream like that and an angel speaks to you, you're kind of like, okay. You know, like, what do you call an angel a liar? You know, like, no. <laughs> okay. Okay, the next part is the important part. It goes like this. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, and we'll come back to that, because he will save his people from their sins. And when he says that, he's basically saying this. He's not just talking about any sin or general sin. He's talking about look at the sins of your people. 
they messed up over and over and over and over and over and over and over for thousands of years. The sins of your people has taken you away from the actual potential you had. The plan that God had for you, your sins has kept you from them. It's like Jesus is here to save you from those sins. But he doesn't stop there. Because this is weird, right? Not only does the angel show, you, show up to tell you, hey, um, your wife, Holy Spirit, okay? Just letting you know. Um, but let me, uh, while I have a few more minutes, I just want to let you know, um, I'm going to name him. His name is going his, his to be Jesus. And, you know, Joseph is like, man, I had a few other names, like Jebediah, that was great. You know, right? No, like, why does the angel name him Jesus? Why is the Bible telling us that, yeah, Jesus is so important that the Holy Spirit named him, right? Like, this is so interesting that they even name the baby. But the next verse is just as confusing because it seems like he changes his name. He goes like, again, here we go. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet in the Old Testament. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. It's like, wait a minute. Did you want me to call him Jesus, or do you want me to call him Emmanuel? Because I'm hearing two stories here, right? If you understand Jewish culture, you'll discover that when it comes to naming somebody, sometimes you name somebody to give them a title, like, hey, my name is Kotz, right? But sometimes you name somebody to give them a character, like to say, you're going to be the one that overcomes trials. So your name is going to be overcome trials. You know, like you give them names based off of what kind of person you predict this person to be. So in this story, we have some, the angel saying his name is going to be Jesus, right? But what he's really going to accomplish is Emmanuel. So the question is, what does Jesus mean? And what does Emmanuel mean? Because the names that, that the angel gives this baby, okay, is very important to the story that we're talking about. Okay, so let's take a look at the first one, Jesus. The name Jesus is in, in the Hebrew, because these people in the story spoke Hebrew, okay? It's written like this. You read it from the right to the left, okay? Now, if you pronounce that, and there's two versions of how you pronounce this, because there's no vowels in ancient Hebrews. You have to kind of guess what the vowels were. Okay, you pronounce it as Yeshua or Yehoshua. Either way, you can't, right? But Yeshua is not one word. By the way, Yehoshua, that's where we get the name Joshua. So if your name is Josh, your name is Jesus. Okay, Yehoshua. So um, the name Yeshua, okay, Yeh or Yeho means like Yahweh. It's like God, okay? And Shua means to save. So that's, Yeshua means God saves. God saves. And so for the people who were back then, right, they're like, we messed up over and over and over and over again. We have regrets. We were supposed to be the light of the world. We were supposed to save the world. We were supposed to take the wrong parts of the world and make it better. But because of our mistakes, I don't know, maybe, maybe we have a lot of regrets. And to those people, when God came into this picture and said, here's baby Jesus, his name is Yeshua. People are like, are you serious? God is going to save us from the, the pit that we're in right now? Do you see how significant it was to hear that God is going to give us a son and the name is Yeshua. But he doesn't stop there. He gives him a second name. His second name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is written like this in Hebrew. Again, read from the right to the left. And it's actually three words put together. Im means with. Okay, im, with. Nu means us. And El is short for Elohim, which means God. So what it means is God with us. For the people who are saying, has God abandoned us? Did he give up on us? We haven't heard from him for 400 years. 
for the angel to show up and says, here's Yeshua. And as predicted in the prophets, his name is also going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see how significant it was for these people to receive a baby from God and his name is God with us? These two names that they receive is an answer to these two questions that we asked earlier. Did, did we blow it? And did God give up on us? Do you see how significant it is to receive a baby with these two titles? For the people who are like, we used to be at the center of God's plan. We were supposed to go and save the world. The world should be better now had we have done our job. Has God given up on us? Yeshua? Emmanuel. These two names are the names that they held on to probably. When they heard this story, they're like, I just want to hold on to it. Just, just, I just want to take those two names and just hold on to it because those are names that's going to remind me that God is not done with us. But for a lot of us, this isn't just a story about Israel, is it? Because we could easily take this question and change it to this. Did I blow it and did God give up on me? Maybe you caught yourself saying this to somebody. Oh, I wasn't supposed to be this way. Or I wish it was wiser whatever years ago. Had I done A, B, and C instead of X, Y, and Z, we wouldn't be in the garbage that we're in right now. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, <clears throat> I made wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision, and now I think God's abandoned me. Or maybe it's not God. Maybe you feel like, I feel alone. This Christmas season must be like a joyful time, but not for me. It's a very lonely time for me. Why? Because I made some bad decisions in my life. Or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe somebody betrayed you. And maybe you're in that spot right now. Had that person made a right decision, I would not be in this situation right now. For those of you in that situation, the hope that you hold on to are these two names, Emmanuel and Yeshua. God is with us, and God saves. Another way of putting this is that he's saying, I am here, and I am here to save you. Do you see the significance of the angel coming down and saying, this is going to be your baby's name? Because that one naming, that just the naming of this one act of just naming the baby with these two titles is basically saying, God is about to do something crazy. And it's all for you. So if there's anything that you pick up from this sermon here today, is this, that God has not given up on you. He's not finished with you. No matter what situation you're in right now, no matter if you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling lonely, he is not finished with you. He has not given up on you. You're like, yeah, but if you know my story, if I made, you know, I made all these mistakes. No, no. He's not finished with you. He has so much more in plan in store for you because he has not given up on you. And so for this Christmas season, you know, we're talking about invitation. Where is God calling us to invite him into? Today, I want to focus on this. Jesus wants you to invite him into your regrets and mistakes. And I think the weird thing is that we tend to do this. We tend to say, here are my regrets, here are my mistakes. Don't look at it, God, because this, you know, I'm just going to show you my best side, right? We're saying today, we want to say, God, won't you come in into my regrets and my mistakes? And I'm going to let you judge this. 
And by the way, I think a lot of times, because of our current culture, I think when we think of the word judge, we think of it in a negative way, right? When the Bible uses the word judge, he's not talking about <laughs> pointing fingers and wagging your finger like, ah, I see that. Oh, no, no, no. It's like, is that, what are you doing with your finger? Oh, no, no, you're right. That's not judge in, according to the Bible. In the Bible, the word judge actually means this. I see what's wrong. Let me start making it right. So when God comes to the world to judge the world, he's not here to say, let's all burn this place down as popular Christianity movement want to make you think, right? Judge is basically saying there are some things that need to get fixed and for some cases, in order to fix it, we have to tear down a few things first. But it's tearing down something with the purpose of rebuilding. God is not finished with you. And so for this season, let's be more vulnerable with God. Let us put our necks out this time and say, we want to invite you into my regrets, into my mistakes, and have your way. Amen?